What is up, guys? It is the Blue Bloods here with a Week 10 College Football Instant Reaction episode, man. And we have so much to get into. This week was just another crazy week in what's been just a ridiculous season of college football, man. So if you're new, go ahead and hit that subscribe button, like the video, and go ahead and comment your takeaways, instant reactions from this weekend of college football. But we have to start with the with the Goliath killers, man, the Purdue Boilermakers pull off another top three upset over Michigan State, forty to twenty nine. Uh, you know, and listen, it's getting to the point where it's getting really suspicious how good Purdue seems to be when they face like a top five team, especially as an unranked underdog. This is the seventeenth time as an unranked team that they have beaten the top five opponent, which is the most in FBS history. I mean, Purdue, if you're a top five team, the last team you want to see on that schedule is that black P with, with like, with like the gold trim, that is going to be your nightmare. And now look at the big 10 West race. The Boilermakers are right in the thick of things. They're tied with Wisconsin and Minnesota. They don't have the tiebreaker with Wisconsin. So they need them to drop a game. And on the other side, Michigan State now has all the pressure on their shoulders. They, in a very, very competitive Big Ten East, they must win out to keep any sort of Big Ten championship hope alive. And now their college football playoff run potentially could come to an end depending on where they're ranked on Tuesday night. And now it becomes much more complicated to try to find a way into the top four after making the third place spot in the initial ranking. So looking at this game, it was the same game plan that the Boilermakers used to beat Iowa earlier this season. And, you know, they did it just with the same two players, man. David Bell is a problem. And David Bell is one of the most underrated wide receivers in the country. He had a giant game. Let's give Aiden O'Connell his credit. Another giant game against a top three opponent this season. And they also had the defense making a few opportunistic defensive stops down the stretch to really clinch this game, including a late interception. When you look at O'Connell, no help of the run game against a solid front seven for Michigan State. He threw 54 passes, completed 40 of them for over 530 yards, three touchdowns, no turnovers. And David Bell had over 11 catches for 217, averaging 20 yards a catch and a touchdown, and let's also give Jackson Anthrop his props of a receiving touchdown, six catches for 80 yards. This passing game for Purdue is an entire problem for defenses, and you could tell coming into the game it was a matchup to watch because Michigan State's defense was giving up almost 300 yards per game through the air. The Purdue knew that, Jeff Brom knew that, and he put the game solely in Aiden O'Connell's hands and said, we already know David Bell's a playmaker let him go make plays, and nobody could hold him all Saturday afternoon as the Boilermakers get a huge win. When I look at, you know, when you watch this game, it was really shocking shocking how this team was able to, one, establish drives with no rushing attack, control the pace of the game, and they were really able to put a lot of pressure on Michigan State's offense down the stretch, which I think forced them into some mistakes. When you look at this Purdue offense, 11 for 18 on third down, so – when you got them to third down situations, Aiden O'Connell and this wide receiving core were able to make big plays. They had over 35 minutes of time of possession. And for a team that doesn't run the ball, 
the fact that they were able to keep keep the ball for over 35 minutes of the game is extremely, extremely impressive. And it kept Michigan State's offense one off the field, and it allowed Purdue to wear down the Spartans' defense, and that really played key in those close late-game moments late in the game. Also, the red zone offense for the Boilermakers was spectacular. Seven of seven. They were 100% on their seven red zone attempts. And on top of that, like I said, the defense, getting the late game interception, making key opportunistic stops late in the game really was the difference um, for the Boilermakers and the Spartans this weekend. Now, on the other side, for the Spartans, the question marks that I had and many people had about this team finally caught up with them, and it all started on the defensive side of the ball. The Spartans were allowing over 400 yards per game, and they allowed almost 600 yards of total offense this weekend. And not being able to establish their will down the stretch, having to put the ball in the air probably more than they liked, really cost the Spartans the game this weekend. Now, you can't blame Kenneth Walker. Another impressive day, but he wasn't able to single-handedly carry this offense like he was last week. 146 on the ground, over six yards per carry, but only one rushing touchdown. His Heisman campaign continues, but Walker really needed some help from his defense. He also needed more from the passing attack for them to have a chance to win this game. And listen, I'm not putting this game on the Michigan State offense at all. Peyton Thorne, did not have a bad game. It's just that he really couldn't deliver in the clutch down the stretch. That late pick really put Purdue up on top. And I mean, 20 for 30, 276, three total touchdowns and only one turnover. That's a solid game. But the problem was the Spartans failing to consistently put together scoring drives. It was 21-21 in the second half. And then the next three drives, the three drives, the Spartans failed to score. And then before they look up, it's 37-21. That's not a recipe for success, and the Spartans just kind of went to sleep offensively late in the second half, and went, now you're down 37-21. You've got to put it in the air. You can't lean on your best player. They really failed to execute late in the second half. You have to give Jeff Brom, Jeff Brom and this Purdue defense credit for getting enough stops to really help their offense build and sustain this lead. Now, you look at what this means. I mean, Michigan State – is probably going to drop, I would say, outside of the top six or seven, and Purdue will probably find themselves back in the top 25. So for me, this game changed a lot. It caused havoc in the college football playoff race, and it has huge implications for the Big Ten moving forward. But looking ahead, Michigan State looks to rebound against Maryland and East Lansing next weekend, while Purdue looks to make it three for three on top five teams next weekend as Ohio State welcomes them to Columbus next weekend. So huge matchups on both sides of this. But this weekend, Jeff Brom and Purdue got to, play, got to play spoiler one more time this year. Now, that brings us to another undefeated. Two undefeated suffered their first loss this weekend. It starts, and we got to get to Chapel Hill. Wake Forest, number nine in the country, suffers their first loss of the season to North Carolina in a 58-55 thriller. And listen, it may not count toward ACC records, but we had a shootout this weekend. And right now, the ACC uh, college football playoff hopes are officially probably at zero with Wake Forest losing this game. But... It was one of the better games of the weekend. The Demon Deacons, Tar Heels put on an offensive, I mean, just spectacle of scoring and execution. But it came down to who can make that one key stop 
And that happened late in the fourth, early in the fourth quarter, really, where Cameron Kelly intercepted Hartman with 10 minutes left. And that's when the Tar Heels really took took control. And then they held the Demon Deacons to back to back four and outs late in the fourth quarter as the, the fourth down conversions were not coming for the Demon Deacons. Now, you look at this game, over 1,100 total yards of offense, 66 first downs, 22 penalties for over 200 yards, eight different lead changes. This game was exciting from the kickoff up until that clock hit zero and the Tar Heels escaped with their biggest win of the year and a huge top 10 upset. Now, let's start with the Tar Heels. The MVP has to go to Todd Chandler at running back, man. He dominated the game with three fourth-quarter touchdowns. The final one came on a 50-yard score on the first play of their drive with one minute left to seal the game for the Tar Heels. Now, he had 22 carries for over 213 yards, almost 10 yards per carry, and four rushing touchdowns. It was the running game that really separated what the Tar Heels were able to do compared to the Demon Deacons. And also want to give credit, man, Sam Howell had another huge performance, and he made some spectacular plays early with his legs to really open things up for the Tar Heels and to keep them alive in this high-scoring shootout. 16 for 26, 216, you know, three total touchdowns, over 100 rushing yards. Sam Howell had a great day. And for me, watching this game, this, this game was really big for Howell's draft stock. He showed the deep ball at times. He showed his pocket presence. He showed his playmaking ability outside the pocket. And he showed his leadership in a huge second-half comeback. So for me, this was one of those signature performances for Howell, which he showed he can overcome adversity. And this win was huge for Mac Brown's program that had a bunch of momentum. You know, coming into the year, they might not have lived up to all of it. But this was a big win, you know, big top 10 upset in front of their home crowd to really show that Mac Brown's team is not to be overlooked, even if they've had their early struggles. So you've got to give Todd Chandler and Sam Howell their credit. They really carried this offense, and Cameron Kelly and the defense were able to come up with some spectacular plays down the stretch to really close this game out. Now, the Demon Deacons, the offense lived up to its potential. Nothing bad to say really about the offense, but their defensive struggles. It started back with that Army game where they allowed over 56 points. They got into a, you know, they got into a close game last week. But this defensive struggle finally caught up to this team, and it really cost them this game. Turnovers down the stretch, a lack of execution, that was the difference in this game for Wake Forest and North Carolina. Now, Sam Hartman, another outstanding performance. But the difference is the rushing attack wasn't as explosive as it was on the Tar Heels, and they were not able to help you know Hartman down the stretch. Therefore, the Tar Heels were looking for the pass, and they were able to make some plays. Hartman over 400 yards passing, seven total touchdowns, two picks. The two picks really were a big difference in the game as well, but the, the secondary for the Tar Heels could not hold this, this wide receiving core. A.T. Perry and Jaquari Robinson, who I mentioned on the preview, they've been the top two guys all year long, and they had giant games. Both of them over six catches, both of them up over 100 yards, and both with two touchdowns. They were all over the field. Jaquari Robinson made some big plays down the stretch to keep Wake Forest alive. It just was not enough with the defensive struggles that they had early. So for me, looking at what Wake Forest achieved this year, man, it was great. But the census doesn't count as a conference loss. They're still right in the thick of things for the ACC championship race. But 
it shows that when you face an uh, like say which one by UNC, when you face a really great offense like that, you're gonna have to have a defense that can make some key plays. And you could just tell late in the fourth quarter they just didn't have the depth and energy to make the stops needed to win the game, especially with Todd Chandler just carrying the Tar Heels on his back late in this one. So for me, Wake Forest left a lot on the field, and this was such a great game, but you could tell. UNC's defense was just a step ahead of where Wake Forest was. And this is going to be one of those games. Clawson's squad looks back on like, what if we could just have one stop, force one turnover, something like that. That was going to be the biggest difference in this game. And so the Demon Deacons have to figure out some defensive consistency down the stretch of the season. Now, you know, what's next? The Demon Deacons look to rebound from a very tough loss against NC State next weekend. And UNC traveled to take on Pitt at Heinz Field in a huge ACC matchup on, I believe it's Thursday night this week. So it's going to be a primetime matchup with the whole country watching. So that is going to be a huge game for Howell, Mac Brown, and the Tar Heels. Now, to the SEC, we had a giant top 15 matchup, A&M versus Auburn and Kyle Field. And Texas A&M got a statement win, 20-3 over Auburn. In, a, in the second in front of the second largest crowd in Caulfield history, 109,835 people were there to watch this dominant performance by Texas A&M, and it was a it was a defensive dominant game, man. Eleven punts, two missed field goals, three turnovers, and only nine points scored in the first three quarters of this matchup. And it was one of the biggest and best defensive games that we have seen this season. Now, the Aggies may have dominated on the defensive side of the ball. But the Aggies overall, especially on the offensive side, showed that they could overcome a lot of adversity this weekend. A QB injury early in the game. A fourth quarter where they pulled away from the Tigers and was able to close out a very, very competitive game by running the football. Jimbo Fisher's team showed they had a bit of fight in them, and it was an impressive performance by Texas A&M this weekend to get this giant win over one of the hottest teams in the country. And... I want to say this. I was critical of Zach Calzada on the preview, but he proved me completely wrong, and he deserves his flowers on this episode. He overcame a significant shoulder injury. He took on a safety. It looked like it was completely dislocated. I mean, it was hanging. He was in a lot of pain, and not many people thought he returned. Got it fixed, came back, and delivered a solid performance down the stretch, and that was the second time. People remember, a lot of people thought his knee was wrecked against Alabama, comes back, leads them down to a game-winning touchdown drive or, or field goal drive. But Zach Calzada didn't have his best performance, but he delivered some crucial throws, 15 of 29, 192 yards. But he hit a 49-yard strike to Caleb Chapman late in the second half to get to, to set the Aggies up for a giant, giant scoring drive that put them ahead, a lead that they never relinquished. And the rushing attack had a very slow start, but the two-headed monster of Spiller – and a chain found a way to close this game out and wear the Tigers' defense down. Spiller, 112 yards rushing over five yards per carry, and a chain, 10 carries for 98 yards, almost 10 yards of run. These two guys are a problem for any defense they face because the offensive line has the size advantage over most D-lines they see. They're physical. They played great this weekend. They kept Calzada mostly out of pressure, and they were able to just wear down the front seven of the Tigers, which was compounded by Auburn not being able to move the ball. 
it was an impressive performance for Texas A&M, and this win should have them back into the top 10 on Tuesday night when the college football playoff rankings return, especially with Wake Forest losing and Baylor losing in front of them. They should find themselves right in the thick of things. Now, for the Tigers, no offensive consistency whatsoever. It looked like the Tigers' offense that we saw early this season and the defense wore down because of it and because this team only mustered three points they could not control the ball they could not establish jobs to keep to let their defense rest up and you could tell down the stretch this Auburn Tigers team was out of rhythm and Texas A&M took full advantage of it it starts with Bo Nix man he reverted to his old self on the road zero help from the offensive line the wide receivers could not find any separation against this strong A&M secondary and this offense really struggled in Kyle Field this weekend. It was one of their worst performances of the season. Knicks was 20 for 41, 153 yards, only 3.7 yards per pass, man. Not, not a great production at all. One interception, had negative 18 yards rushing, sacked four times, two fumbles, one on a flea flick, flicker, and one he just dropped. And that one was taken for a fumble return for a touchdown early in the fourth quarter. When you look at what happened with Knicks, yes, you could say it was all the offensive line, the wide receivers, but also the number one thing for Auburn was to be balanced with their offense. They needed to run the ball. They needed to spread the ball around to different wide receivers. And Texas A&M's defense, let's give them their credit, did a great job of taking what Auburn does best and not letting it work. And then down the stretch, Auburn just seemed to panic when nothing was working. They tried to get too fancy got themselves behind the chains, and that's when things really broke down for the Tigers. The rushing attack could not get loose. Outside of a handful of carries for Bigsby, the Tigers were not able to establish the rushing attack, and that further compounded Nix's issues in the passing game down the stretch. And for me, this Texas a defense really made a statement. They've come a very, very long way, and right now they rank top 10 in the country in terms of production. And they have some real studs. I mean, Leal and, and defensive tackle on the back end, they got overshone and a bunch of these guys that really, that, or Damani Richardson, my bad, that really have a lot of talent. And so for me, Jimbo Fisher has shown that his recruiting is starting to catch up and close that talent gap. And AM, if Alabama loses one more game, which they almost did last night, Texas AM holds the tiebreaker. So if they win out, they can find their way to Atlanta. So this Texas A&M team made a big statement, a 20-3 to win over number 13 Auburn in Kyle Field. And Jimbo Fisher's team is slowly but surely and quietly creeping their way back into contention this season. Now, the Aggies look to continue their stretch run for a potential SEC championship berth with a tough road game in Oxford against Ole Miss. And the Tigers host... Mississippi State in a crucial SEC West really elimination battle in Jordan Hare with the Bulldogs. Now, the other topic I wanted to talk about before we get to our final takeaways is how some of these contenders really struggled in week 10. We can start with number two, Alabama, only beating LSU by six points with LSU having a great chance to win the game in the last seconds. Only six total rushing yards for the Crimson Tide. A major question that uh, no one really has seemed to answer. The Brian Robinson and this rush game have not seen a lot of depth emerge, and they haven't seen a lot of execution against really good teams. So they really struggled against the LSU team that was missing a majority of their starters. No Kayshawn Boutte, no Derek Stingley, no Elias Ricks, no Sage Ryan at safety. I mean, they were missing 
almost everybody of of significant importance off this team. I, be, I believe um, one of the 247 reporters reported every single five-star that LSU has signed in from 2019 onward, every single one of them was out or missing this weekend. Coach Ed Orgeron, of course, lost his job, and Alabama really struggled to put LSU away, and they struggled most of the night moving the ball. Bryce Young had a solid game, but it shows that they're really one-dimensional right now. If it's not for Bryce Young, Jamison Williams, and Mechie, Mechie had a great game this weekend, that Alabama has some serious problems that they need to evaluate and look at and try to figure out what they need to do down the stretch. They have some really tough games coming up, and LSU you know, really exposing some of the weaknesses in Alabama has Nick Saban wondering what's next for this Crimson Tide team. We're number two in the college playoff rankings. I would imagine they're probably not going to drop due to, you know, number three losing. But Alabama has some question marks. And right now you're looking at this at this segment I have here and wondering who was really going to go catch Georgia at number one right now who had another dominant win over Missouri this weekend. And then you look at Oregon. They beat Washington 26-16, to but that game was extremely close. The weather wasn't great. It was a tough Pac-12 North Road game. The Ducks pull it out 26-16, to though, on the back of that rushing attack in that dominant defense. But th- that game was a one-score game until late in the fourth quarter. So for me, Oregon over Washington wasn't a super impressive, you know, dominant win. I thought they were, I honestly thought they could really handle Washington who has really been struggling under Jimmy Lake this season. Also Ohio state over Nebraska, 26, 17, that was a one score game into the fourth quarter as well. And the Cincinnati needing a goal line defensive stand to beat Tulsa 28, 20. It was an inch away and a fumble, an inch from the goal line that kept Cincinnati's undefeated dreams alive. So two, four, five, and six all didn't look overly impressive this weekend with number three, of course, Michigan State losing to Purdue. So for me, this was this was a weekend where we saw a lot of these top teams face a lot of adversity. All of them were able to pull it out. I was most impressed personally with Oregon beating Washington. That's a tough division rival that you really could overlook. And Oregon found a way to win that one. And they're really banged up in some key spots right now for Oregon. So for me, Oregon's win, in my opinion, was the most impressive. Ohio State beating Nebraska, who has given everybody problems this season, also was up there as well. Another dominant passing day by C.J. Stroud and Jackson Smith at the wide receiving spot. So, Right now, you're looking at this college football playoff rank, and you're wondering who is going to be the top threat to Georgia right now. And all of these teams have major, major question marks surrounding them. But I would imagine everyone just kind of moves up together. But I'll ask you guys, I want you to comment, who is the number one threat to Georgia right now? Because right now, two, four, five, and six, in Bama, Oregon, Cincinnati, and Ohio State – who is the biggest threat to Georgia right now in terms of overall, you know, what you've seen on the field? You know, you can give me recruiting and everything, but on the field performance, who is going to be the biggest threat to that Georgia defense right now? Because all these teams had major question marks, but then they all found a way to win. So some really, really tough games this weekend for some of the top playoff contenders. Wanted to kind of give you and us an update on that. But then final takeaways, man, as like I said, I try to keep these episodes manageable for y'all Sunday, man. Hope y'all having a great weekend. Final takeaways. One, we just kind of talked about it. For me, it is Georgia and everybody else in this college football playoff race. The only team that really hasn't shown me major, major, a major flaw yet 
is Georgia football right now. Yes, there, there might be. You could say maybe their offense, but still, this is not their starting quarterback. They're still missing George Pickens. They're missing an offensive lineman. So for me, I still think Georgia right now has been the best overall team of college football, and it's not even been close. Bama, Cincinnati, Oregon, Ohio State, even Oklahoma have some flaws. But for me, it's going to come down to who can overcome their flaw to win a game, to win any given game in the college football playoff. Now, you can say Alabama just because they got Nick Saban. You can say that Ohio State has the talent. Oregon has the talent. Oklahoma hasn't lost under Lincoln Riley. But right now, these teams are going to have to answer some questions down the stretch into the into the coming weeks. And so that's why I would have to say this college football playoff race for my second takeaway is going to be one of the more controversial ones in the history of the format going back to 2014. You're looking at a guaranteed one-loss Big Ten champ at least, one-loss Pac-12 champ, an SEC champ, whether it's undefeated Georgia or one-loss Alabama, a Big 12 champ. It's complicated with undefeated Oklahoma, but it could be a one-loss Oklahoma State or an Oklahoma because they'll have to play each other again. Or you've also got an undefeated Cincinnati and you have a one-loss Notre Dame hanging around right there in that top 10 area, and they should be able to move up to about the top eight. So there's going to be a lot of question marks about resume, strength of schedule, everything like that. So I think this college football playoff race is going to be huge. Third takeaway, the ACC chaos is far from over, guys. Right now it's going to be a race to see who gets that New Year Six automatic bid for the conference and who can take Clemson's throne this year. We look at the race right now, the Coastal got Pitt at 4-1, and one, UVA at 4-2, and two, and Miami at 3-2. and two. Those are the teams that are potentially still in contention. Then you got Virginia Tech and UNC kind of sitting right there with a long, long shot opportunity to find themselves back in the race. Also, the ACC Atlantic, Wake Forest is undefeated, NC State's 4-1, and one, and then you even have a Clemson. If things just fall apart for Wake Forest and NC State down the stretch, you can see Clemson even potentially could sneak back into that Atlantic race. But this race is going to be chaos as well. Even though it might not be for the college football playoff, there's a New Year's Six Bowl on the line. So I think this is going to be a really interesting conference race to watch throughout the season. And lastly, the Heisman race is still wide open, man. More clarity is going to be needed. You look at Matt Corral, Bryce Young, Kenny Pickett, Kenneth Walker, all these guys have had great performances. All these guys have some question marks surrounding their big games. Who's going to have the opportunity to show it on the biggest stage? And who's going to be able to separate themselves as we get later in the season? There's going to be a lot of things coming down the pipeline for this Heisman race that is going to have to be decided. You also still have C.J. Strauss sitting around there. Some people think Kayla Williams can even find himself in the race. This race is far from over, and I think there's going to be a lot of things that have to happen down the stretch for us to get some clarity. But this is probably one of the more competitive Heisman races that we've had to this point in the season in a very, very long time. But, guys, I appreciate y'all tuning in, man. Again, with the Blue Bloods, make sure to subscribe if you're new. Hit that like button and also comment your takeaways below from all the college football action this weekend and also make sure to tune in this week we got game previews more recaps coming any breaking news our mailbag tuesday night 6 30 p.m central time make sure to go to our community tab and submit questions and i got a big announcement at the end of tuesday's show about our channel and what is coming down the pipeline so make sure to tune in for that but guys until until next time the blue bloods are out